Well, if you have your Bibles uh, today, let's go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Did any of you read ahead? No, just joking. You guys didn't know. (laughs) We're kind of in between books right now, and so we'll take a few weeks and we'll go through a, a series together. We'll see how long it lasts. But today I would like to speak with you uh, regarding uh, something that's been heavy on my heart. Uh, it's out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and I'm calling it a true fix. Because we read right here in verse 1, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we have two verses, and I would like to focus really on three words, primarily within the two verses, found there in verse 2, where we read what the writer encourages the people to do, and that is looking unto Jesus. You know, the other day I was over uh, a friend's house, uh, Mark, and uh, I saw his sons and their friends uh, tearing up some engines, man. It was pretty cool, all the tools and grease. And uh, they had these engines torn up, and uh, there was apparently something wrong, and they were going to rebuild it and repair it and put it back together. And uh, I was looking at that. I thought, man, that's so cool how, you know, some guys can do that. And, um, you know, they're able to fix things. You know, they're mechanically inclined. And, you know, whatever it is, sometimes it's your lawnmower, your car. I mean, I could probably put air in a tire. I could probably, you know, change oil. But there's not a whole lot I can do. I admire those who have that capacity to be able to fix things. When I lick that over into the spiritual realm, though, I know there's a lot more to it. Because a lot of us here are what we would call, you know, maybe dysfunctional or broken or hurting or even as Christians, empty inside. You know, and as a pastor, as a leader, um, by God's grace, I think he's given us really a love for you guys. And uh, we see that and we really just search our hearts. Lord, what's going on? Why is it that so many within the church find themselves, you know, not in a good sense, in a bad sense, broken and dysfunctional and empty inside? Why is there that lack of contentment, even as Christians? Why do they have no peace or joy? Why isn't there a big, huge smile on their face, you know? And in looking at that, I thought we would study this together today, that really we see in studying the scriptures that God has called us to be fixed by him, but it's a fix that really needs to be true and biblical. You know, I wonder sometimes if there are any among us who are frustrated in the fellowship. You know, I'm actually concerned about that. I would venture to say that there are discontented disciples amongst us. You're bruised, you're battered, even as a brother, You find yourself hurting. You limp into church. You limp out of church service. And as a matter of fact, oftentimes you limp through life because you feel not just convicted, but oftentimes condemned. It seems like the word guilt, it follows you around and around, and the word grace can't really be found. 
And you often wonder, man, why is it that so many others, they get the victory and that victory eludes me? No, maybe you're here today as a Christian and you find yourself frustrated, man, because you've heard a million messages on obedience. But it seems like you can't get the victory. It seems like you keep falling on your face. You sin every day. Now, often, not always, but, you know, the case is something different, I think, that we would discover as Christians. Today, I would like to share with you that sometimes the reason we fail and fall and sometimes the reason we feel so far away from God is because we have become anthropocentric rather than theocentric. Any of you guys know that? That's your problem. I'm diagnosing you today, man. <laughs> it's the reason you're bummed out, man. And you're a brother. You're a blood-bought believer and you're bummed out. You want to know why? Because you're anthropocentric. It's the reason why there's not that joy and that vitality and that laughter and that peace. It's because you're anthropocentric. You know, it's the reason why I think we struggle sometimes even having victory over sin. It's because we're anthropocentric. And by now you're thinking, what is anthropocentric, right? Well, the dictionary defines it as regarding the human being as a central fact of the universe. It's assuming human beings to be the final aim and end. Regarding humankind as a central or most important element of existence. What it is, you guys, is a focus on self. It's a focus on man. This is very, very, very bad. For whenever man, or more specifically I, become the central fact, the final aim, the first in view, whenever I become the focus in any way, shape, or form, then I will fail and I will fall every single time. You see, we need to not be anthropocentric. We need to be theocentric. And for those of you who are Hispanic, you're like, Theo who? Theocentric. It actually comes from the Greek word theos. It means God. You've got to be God-centered. When Peter was walking on water, when did he sink? He took his eyes off the Lord, man. And a lot of times what ends up happening is we take our eyes off the Lord. That's really what's going on. And so what I've found in life, and more importantly, what I've found in the Bible, is that in order to experience the fix, the true fix that only God can give, the fix that takes away our frustrations, man, we need to fix our eyes on him. We need to take our eyes off ourselves. Take our eyes off that guy or that gal or whatever the situation may be. We must fix our eyes on God. And believe it or not, man, that includes those times when you blow it. You know, sometimes when you blow it, Satan comes in and he whispers in your ear, can you see your sin? Can you see your sin? And your well-intentioned friend, unfortunately, comes with counsel that is corrupt. And they say, brother, can you see your sin? You need to focus on your failure in your life. Get a good dose of that. It serves you right. Can you see your sin? Focus on it. And then your flesh joins in almost every moment of every day. Focus, Manny. Focus, Manny. Focus on yourself. Focus on your failures. Focus on your inability. Focus on your sin. And what is it, man? It's anthropocentric. 
Don't get me wrong, you know, there is a place for self-examination. But that does not replace concentration. Concentration must be on Christ. It's got to be on our Savior and not on ourselves. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it here in the book of Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Now, before we get into this, most of you probably know that Hebrews chapter 11 comes before Hebrews chapter 12. How many of you knew that, just out of curiosity? (laughs) All right, cool. You guys are doing good, okay? Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the Hall of Faith, and it's kind of a play on words with the mindset of a Hall of Fame. But this one's for Christians, you know, not the Hall of Faith for football players or the Hall of Fame for, you know, rock and roll. The Hall of Fame of faith for Christians, those who live lives of love, extraordinary feats of faith. The writer here, who's inspired by God, apparently wants us to do the same. He wants you to be an Abraham. He wants you to be a Sarah. He wants you to be a David. He wants you to... Live a life of love and do those extraordinary feats of faith. He wants us to change history, man, for good. And, you know, in looking at this right here, it does begin with examination. Again, verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I mean, it does begin there. You know, we need to examine our lives. He says, let's lay aside every way and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You know, and when you run the race with the mindset to win, that is, if you want to win, if you want to win as a Christian, then there needs to be that self-examination within. You know, you don't want weights to slow you down when you're running, do you? Imagine how foolish it would be to see a runner or to be a runner. There he is in the Olympics with a backpack on. That'd be crazy, huh? I mean, he wouldn't even have a knapsack. He has this tight, you know, uniform. He wouldn't have pants. He wouldn't even have ants, man. He would have no weights whatsoever to slow him down in the race. And the writer says we need to be the same way. And this means that you and I, we need to take inventory. You know, we don't just do that at work. We've got to do that at home. We've got to do that in our hearts to take time. Ask God, Lord, is there anything in my life that would be classified as an unnecessary weight? You know, when you look at life and you begin to make those decisions, one thing I want to encourage you to keep in mind is that the weights are not necessarily those things that are unlawful. Sometimes there are things that are permissible. But they might not be profitable. And so we need to ask the Lord because he might want us to lay aside weights in order to win the race that we're in. You know, as a Christian, you're free, man. You can do so many different things, huh? If you think about it, you really can. You can do this and that and you can go there and here and everywhere. But that doesn't mean necessarily that God wants those things from your life. You have to ask him, Lord, what do you think? Is this cool with you? Because it might not be a wing that makes you fly up higher. It might be a weight that holds you down, that slows you down. And so you really have to ask the Lord, God, is this profitable? And he'll show you the things that you need to lay aside. 1 Corinthians 10.23, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And so we need to take time for this type of examination, asking ourselves what the will of God is. Are there any weights in my life? Secondly, is there any wickedness? Notice again what he says right there. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You know, for some of us, this might be our Achilles tendon. Think about that. Which so easily ensnares us. It's that one thing that for some reason, man, it gets you every time. You know, for some of you here, it's your kids and they give you that look or whatever it is, that attitude and boom, there you are in the flesh, quick as lightning. I mean, it could be so many different things. We see that possibly that's what this means, where we fail in this area so wickedly, you know, and it might be, you know, some of you here are Chicanos, you're Hispanic, you're Mexican, and you're like, hey, it's in my blood, I get angry, man, you know, and for you, it's as easily tripped up, you know, it might be ungodly anger, it might be alcohol, it might be wine, it might be women, it might be the love of money or the love of things that money can buy, it might be lust, it might be laziness. It might be the fear of man. It might be the cheers of man that you want. It might be pride. It might be pornography. It can be the failure of giving up. It can be the failure of living up to God's word to your heart. And we have to search our heart. We must personally answer that question. Lord, is there any sin that easily besets me? Now, I must also make mention in studying this right here that contextually there are A lot of people who believe that this is not just a specific sin such as anger, but it might be the sin that's really laid out in the book of Hebrews, and that is unbelief. You know, do you really believe that God is? Do you really believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Do you really believe that you're in his presence? Do you really believe that this is God's word? Do you really believe that there's a heaven and a hell and on and on and on? A lot of times I think people don't really believe. They just kind of make logical decisions through life. And sometimes logic is not right. We have to follow the Lord. Now, some people here, if it was really stripped down to it and your heart was exposed, you are a doubter. You're a quencher. You don't really have faith. And that's why right here he says, hey, man, be real careful with that. James 1, 6 through 8 says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Disobedience, doubts, weights, wickedness. If we want to win, that self-examination is pretty important, huh? I think you guys would all agree with that. It is pretty important. But believe it or not, and I'm here to say today passionately, emphatically, that that's not the most important thing in life. And I think that that's where we fall short. A lot of times that's where we camp out and that's where we fall out. You see, what I see when I study the scriptures is that there really is something more to fix our eyes on rather than our own failures. As a matter of fact, my main point today is that I believe there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way we think as a church. What that means is that there needs to be some major changes 
in our thought patterns, radical changes in personal beliefs, systems, and organizations, replacing the former way of thinking and organizing to this radical difference. We need to repent of our anthropocentricity and return to where we belong, a life of theocentricity. We need to stop focusing on ourselves and focusing on our sin, and we need to start focusing on our Savior. Because if you think about it, how can we really overcome our sin if all we see is the sinner? How about you focus on the one who beat your sin, who bore your sin? Do you think you'll grow as you focus on God? Oh, I know you will. And again, don't get me wrong, there's that place for self-examination, but it does not replace the concentration that we need to have as Christians. Because concentration on Jesus, concentration on Christ is the key. It's the key that sets us free. And it puts joy in our hearts, man. It puts a smile on your face. doesn't matter what you're going through. God is on your side. God has died for your sins. God will save the day. There needs to be that focus. It brings a spring in our step. And it's so important for us as Christians, man, to come back to the basics. You know, the other day, and I hate to use this as an illustration, but I think it kind of brings home the point. Um, I went into the laundry room, and our dog Chip was there, and he did something that he normally doesn't do. He, um, you know, he did his business in the house. Let's put it that way, man. Uh, This time around, he did some big business, if I could just say it that way, okay? And so, you know, what I wanted to do, and who knows, maybe from some dog trainers, this is a good thing to do or a bad thing to do. I have no idea, but the thought entered my mind. I should take his nose and stuff it in, you know, his business. That's what I should do, you know. (laughs) But I didn't, thank God. You know, I said, no, you know what, Chip, I I know there's something wrong um, with you. I I know there is. There's something wrong. And I took him outside. He he said, he's a good dog, you know. He doesn't do that normally. But what I've found in the Christian church a lot of times is they'll take that sinner and they'll take them and they'll just stuff them and, hey, man, camp out on this, buddy. You did this sin. You know what? I'm going to put your nose in it. I'm going to you know, move your head around. I'm going to focus on your failure. Focus on your flaws. Focus on your sin. Focus on yourself. Question. Do you think that's really going to help? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's a place for examination and, you know, confession. But there is a greater place for concentration. If you want your kids to grow and if you want to grow and if you want the church to really grow and to be healthy and to be holy, then really this is the way it's going to happen. Because again, we read right here in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking Unto Jesus. 
The New Living Translation puts it this way. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because they went into the Greek language and they understood what it really meant. And the way that you're going to run the race with endurance, man, the way that you're going to lay aside all the weights and the sin which so easily ensnares you, the way that you're going to win is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's all I want to share with you. We can't be anthropocentric. We must be people who are theocentric. The NIV puts it this way. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The Greek word for that phrase, it means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something else. In this case, of course, it's someone else. It's the living, loving Lord of your life. And all I'm saying to you guys is that I know, you know, for some of you here, you feel frustrated. You feel defeated because you are. You feel discouraged. You feel empty. You feel guilty. I mean, there's just so many things. You feel far away when maybe you're not even really far away, but it's just the way that the enemy tricks us and just deceives us into focusing on man. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes and focus on God. Focus on our wonderful maker, so merciful and gracious and holy and loving. And that will begin to radically change your life. You see, the fix is the true fix that fixes our eyes on Jesus. This really fixes our life. And you go from being dysfunctional to functional. You go from being sad to glad. You go from being stressed and depressed to totally blessed when you get your eyes on the Lord. You see, examination upon self without concentration on Christ will never lead to liberation for Christians. It leads to nothing but frustration for even God's people. And so here's what we need to do. Get a good glimpse of your sins. That's you got to know where you're failing, right? That's necessary. But make sure your overall gaze is upon God. If I could ask you today, and you guys know what's up, you know what's up. Where's, been, where's your focus been? Are you really focused on the Lord? You know, the way that I look at it, sometimes our mind, our heart, our eyes, they're kind of like our TV channels, you know. You can put it on different channels, right? And, you know, you know whatever it might be, ESPN, CNN, Fox News, you know, you watch the, the cake shows, I don't know, whatever it is that you watch. You know, and, you know, the channel, boom, it's there. And what I'm basically saying is that the channel of our heart, the channel of our mind, the channel of our eyes, it's got to be on the Lord. It's got to be on God and and not on ourselves and not on their sins and not on my sins, although that has its place. It doesn't replace the true channel of the Lord that we got to focus on him. I mean, sometimes I wish I could record, you know, our thoughts on some DVD player. You know, let's suppose that the focus of your mind and heart could be recorded for just a day. What would we see? Oh, I can't believe he did that or she did that or my son did this. My daughter did that. I did that. He did that. All these critical and cynical perspectives. Wouldn't it be better if we could see visions of God? 
meditations upon the Messiah, contemplations upon Christ and his glorious cross, gazes of his glory, windows of his wonders. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if our life was filled with the love of God and our heart filled with the holiness of heaven? What are your contemplations? What are your meditations? What is your focus really in life? Are you trying to fill your heart with your own holiness? Or that guy's holiness? Or that gal's holiness? Would the scenes be filled with yourself, the winds of self, the sins of self? And Satan says, yeah, I did it. I made them anthropocentric. Focused on man. Not on God, the sure road to ruin. See, it's so important that we do what the Bible says. And we fix our eyes on Jesus. We gaze on God the Almighty always. Because this will lead us to holiness. This will lead us to healthy, vibrant, joyful, loving, gracious, you know, Christ-like Christians. It really will. Because think about it, you're focused on the Lord. You're focused on God. You're always like, wow, look at this is how Jesus is, you know? I mean, think about it. If you're focused, I don't really know a whole bunch on Eminem, that guy out there, Eminem. That was Eminem posters all over your room, and you listen to his music, and you follow his weblogs and stuff. Guess who you're going to be like? Eminem. That's not good. Or whatever it is, you can choose whoever it, it can be. I mean, it can be a sports figure. It can be another Christian, and you'll be like them. Cool. What about God? And I, and I think that that's really what the Lord wants us to do. You will discover how great God is. You will discover how much he really does love you. You will then be there understanding the day of Calvary, the day of Pentecost. And I just want to share that with you guys today, man. I hope you don't misunderstand me. There is a place for self-examination, but... Man, don't ever let it replace the concentration that needs to be on God. And so I pray there would be a commitment in this congregation for a paradigm shift. You know, up to this point, I think God's done a great work. And don't get me wrong, man, a beautiful, wonderful, amazing work has been done. I see it in your lives. But as I've been spending the time with the Lord the last couple of weeks, it seems like the Lord, this is the one thing he's, he's telling me. Now it's time for this. Now it's time to focus more on me. Now it's time to fall in love with me. Watch what I will do in your life. It's going to be real. It's going to be deep. It's going to be amazing. As a matter of fact, I, I, I want to share with you guys seven things that I think can help us focus on the Lord. Because for some, that might be an abstract thought. Focus on the Lord. What are you talking about, you know? And we could probably share a million things, but let me just share with you seven things that I would just like to communicate to you. Number one, teachers. Teachers point to God and not to men. If you're a teacher, I want to encourage you to point to God. And if you're an individual who sits and studies, keep us accountable, man. You know, point to the Lord. For that, let's go over to the book of Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah chapter 40. And look what it says here in verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9. 
It says, O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. I love that. He's saying, okay, you guys who bring the gospel, you guys who bring the messages, you teachers, get up there in that pulpit and you guys in the sound ministry, crank the volume and let's tell everyone, behold your God. Look at how wonderful he is. Teachers, point to God and not to men. I think that's one way that we can be more focused on the Lord. Let's come away from studies. Let's go into studies with a heart to say, show me your glory, God. Secondly, partake of communion. How can I be more focused on the Lord? Well, I encourage you to partake of communion. And I've shared with you guys before to have communion at home. You don't have to be ordained to lead your family in communion. Did you guys know that? You don't have to be ordained to lead anyone in communion. Uh, As a matter of fact, all you have to do is have a heart to lead your family. Have a heart to make Christ the center of your home. You go, you get some pita bread, some unleavened bread. You grab a little bit of grape juice. You get a community cup or whatever it is. If you want to borrow little cups from us, that's fine. And you lead your family in communion. You have communion because Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death. Do this in remembrance of me. And there in your home or there wherever you are with your friends, you're bringing Jesus Christ into the epicenter of your life once again. And you're contemplating the cross. I encourage you guys. Teachers, point to God and not to men. Secondly, partake of communion. Thirdly, do whatever you need to do To clearly see Jesus. And for that, if you would, turn over to Luke chapter 19. In verse 1, Luke 19, it says, And then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short stature. And so he ran ahead, he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Kind of a funny story, huh? Zacchaeus, little Zacchaeus. The kids sing about Zacchaeus. And Jesus is coming through town, Jesus is passing through, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. He really, he must really Wants to see him. And I think it wasn't just a curiosity. I think the Holy Spirit was working in his life. He said, man, I want to see him. I I want to be near him. There was something that longed to see him. And so what did he do? Well, he goes to the crowds. Oh, yeah, I heard he's going down, you know, Lower Azusa Road. I'm going to go over there right there. And so he goes. And but the thing is, is he's too short. And everybody, you know how crowds are. You ever been to the Harvest Crusade? They're not really Christ-like, man. They're like pushing. I'm going to get this seat right here, you know. They don't let you have the seat. (laughs) So Zacchaeus is like, man, I'm too short. Who knows? Maybe he's four feet tall. He can't see Jesus. And so what does he do? Forget about it. 
gives up. I tried, I can't do it. No, what does Zacchaeus do? This rich man, this older man, this respectable man, he actually goes and he climbs up a tree. (laughs) When's the last time you climbed up a tree? Just out of curiosity. (laughs) In other words, he did whatever was necessary that nothing would obstruct his view of Jesus. And that's the way we need to be in life. You got to climb trees. You got to get crazy. You got to wake up early. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to do whatever it is so that you can clearly see Jesus just like Zacchaeus did. Because when Jesus saw his heart, it says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I'm going to stay at your house. You're like, what? Jesus is coming over my house? Yeah. How many of you here want him over your house? Just out of curiosity. Climb a tree. (laughs) He knows if you really want him. Number four, do whatever you need to do to stay focused, even in the hard times. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, when the nations were coming against the kingdom of God, it says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You know, I'll be honest with you. This is a a new journey for me. You know, I've read books on theology and I've read books on the attributes of God, but not after having gone through everything that I've gone through. I'm I'm at a different place in my life now. I think we're all at a different place in our life now, aren't we? We're at that place now where even if we read the same thing, it's going to mean more to us. It's going to be deeper to us. And I think that, you know, as we have that heart, then God will honor that. And even when we go through the hard times, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen as a result of this. And I'm asking the Lord, Lord, you got to show me something. you got to show me something. And, you know, I'm the type of guy, you know, I ask God for patience and I ask him to give it to me now, you know. <laughs> Lord, you got to show me something. you got to show me something. And the Lord says, one step at a time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay focused on me. I want you to really begin to dial in. I want you to get deeper. I want you to focus on me because I am going to begin to do a new work in your heart. But what about when the hard times come? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But like it says right here, our eyes are upon you. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. See, we've got to make sure we have that discipline to stay focused on the Lord. Even like Peter, he sunk in the water when he took his eyes off Jesus. We've got to stay focused. Fifthly, don't focus on any man. Whatever you do, don't focus on any man. If you would, go over to Matthew chapter 17. Most of you are probably familiar with this story of the transfiguration. It says in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You want to know what will eclipse the sun? That big old huge sun? This little bitty man of a moon. That's what will eclipse the sun. And you want to know what will eclipse God? That man. That woman. That individual that oftentimes we elevate and we focus on. And they dominate us. If you think about it in your life, stop for a moment. Who do you really want to please? Oh, I hope this person's happy with me. Oh, I hope that person is impressed with what I do. And this person comes to mind constantly and is partially the devil. And God says, no, I want to come to your mind. I want to be everything to you. I want to be your passion. I want to be your focus. Here we see Jesus was transfigured. And what was happening was God was trying to show him how awesome he is. And the Lord is trying to show us how awesome he is. And so there he is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they're there, you know, the guys, like usual, they fall asleep. But Moses and Elijah, they come and they appear. And so when Peter wakes up, he he looks and he says, Wow, Moses, Elijah. These guys are bad. I mean, think about it. Moses and Elijah, a good bad, if you know what I mean. I mean, these guys were incredible men. And so he says, tell you what, let's make three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. In other words, they're all the same, equal level. And as they're doing that, like a thunderous voice comes from heaven. It's the voice of God that just totally slams them on the floor. And he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. The father didn't say, here's Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Ta-da. He didn't say that. No. He said, this is my son. That's the one you got to focus on. And so when they're there and they freak out, uh, you know, they're on the floor. Jesus comes up to them. And I love what we read right here. He just kind of says, hey, you guys, you all right? And they wake up and it says that they saw no one. But Jesus only. It's very important that we understand that God is a jealous God. He really is. How many of you guys here, you know, had a boyfriend or girlfriend and you'd allow them to have like extra boyfriends and girlfriends? You probably wouldn't do that, huh? God says, that's the way it is, man. I got to be your passion. No one else, no man, no woman got to have that love for him. You see, in wanting to focus on the Lord, number one, teachers, point to God. Always point to God. Please, I beg of you, point to God and not to men. Secondly, partake of communion. Third, do whatever you need to do to clearly see Jesus, even if you have to climb a sycamore tree. Number four, do whatever you need to do to stay focused, even in the hard times. Number five, don't focus on any man. Number six, when you read the Bible, 
always ask God what it teaches you about him. What it teaches you about him. No matter what it is, there can be a list of things that God wants you to do. Still, underneath that, I want you to always ask the Lord, God, what does it teach me about you? Jesus told the Pharisees who knew the Bible inside and out, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. John chapter 5, verse 39. And a lot of us here, we know the Bible really well. And you know what to do. And you know what to do. You know what to do in your family. You know what to do in the ministry. You know what to do every day. But you don't know what's been done. And it's changed who you are. And you know now who you are. But you don't know who God is. You've forgotten who God is. It doesn't matter if you dot all your I's or crossed all your T's. And you've got great behavior. You know what to do. If you don't know him and what he's done, and if there's not a belief, more than rules and regulations, but a deep and intimate relationship, then you miss the whole point. Fall in love with God and not his commandments. Have a relationship with him and not just rules and regulations. Whenever you read the Bible, ask the Lord what it teaches you about him. See, when you read the Bible and you learn to know God, it's only when you really get to know God that you love God. And it's only when you really love God that you'll obey God. See, a lot of times people are saying, obey God, obey God, obey God. If you don't obey him, you don't love him. And it's really like a, it's like a whirlpool that we end up in. And it's so frustrating. And God says, well, if you know me, if you really know me, then you'll love me. And then when you love me, then you'll obey me. And see, and that's why it's important that we are theocentric and not anthropocentric. And then the last thing I want to share with you guys is this. Read a good biblical book on the attributes of God. A good biblical book on the attributes of God. And you'll find out he's omnipotent and what that means to you. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Think about that. He knows everything. All the algebra equations. He knows all the thoughts you're thinking. And he still loves you. (laughs) Crazy, huh? It's amazing. He's on your side. And you learn about the holiness and the grace and the mercy. What I've found in life and even in the church is that little people have little understanding of God. They're the critical people. They're the cynical people. They're the quenchers, the doubters, the down and outers. They're really little people. They might be esteemed by men, but they're little people. Why? Because they have a little understanding about God. What I've found in life is that the big people, and by that I mean in God's eyes, the big people have a big understanding of who God is. And as a result of that, they go out and that emanates from their decisions and their days. They see how big God is and they're healthy. They're holy. They got a lot of grace, a lot of love, deep forgiveness from the heart. 
Why would they do that? Because they studied the Bible and they learned that God has forgiven them of all their sins. And so what they then do is they go and emulate that. You know, how can I be a good husband? Well, I see the husband of Jesus and I learn from that. How can I be a good parent? I see the way God parents his children. Oh, I learn from that. How can I be a good shepherd? I, I, I watch the best shepherd in action. How can I be a good forgiver? Well, I see the way that I've been forgiven. You know, some people, when they forgive, they say, you know what, I forgive you, but I don't love you as much as I used to. Is that the way God forgives us? You know what, you need to go back to your Bible. You need to go back to your Bible and discover who God is. Because you're missing the point. God wants it from the heart. And that's why we got to focus on him. Now, in looking at this, I think the Lord has laid it on my heart, anyways, to do a series of studies on the attributes of God. And we'll see how long that is maybe five weeks, maybe 55 weeks. It doesn't really matter, huh? So, to get to know God, we want to get to love Him. We want to really, really be a people that would be blessed in that relationship. Are you here today and you're bad? I think that if you're bad, it's because you're blind. You need to open your eyes and you need to see how good God is. When God comes into your life and he opens your eyes to who he is, I believe we really, when we see, will change. Job said this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want to see the real living God. How about you? I pray that you would. Lord, we just come before you. We thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, Lord. I know there needs to be a radical paradigm shift, maybe not in the hearts of the people that are here and some. Maybe they've already got it together, but I know in my own life, Father, a lot of times... I focus on my sin. I focus on myself. I don't focus on my Savior. Lord, help me to understand the difference between examination and, and concentration. God, I want to climb the tree. And I don't care if it's the tallest tree in the world. But I want to climb the tree. So I can clearly see past the crowd. God, I want to see you. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray that you touch our hearts and you stir within us, Lord, a passion to seek you like never before. And just in closing today, you guys, I was just wondering, man, if we could close maybe with a, a little time of prayer. If you're here and you're an overseer, if you're a man, uh, an overseer, Peter, uh, Rich, Joey, Ricardo, Gabriel, why don't you guys all come up here if it's all right and uh, come on up. I know there are many here today that need prayer.